Hello and welcome to the Industry Leaders Podcast, where we talk to the leaders of some of the most exciting retail and direct brands and learn the real stories behind their success, their challenges and their plans for the future. I'm Sarah Coleboyle and this podcast is brought to you by More2, the marketing science people. Now, I am delighted to have Mark Wright on the podcast with me this week. Mark is a big brand retailer through and through. He cut his teeth at M&S, where he started out in the graduate scheme, and worked his way up and up before moving to Jack Wills, where he was managing director of Multichannel. And he's now been at Fatface for just over three years, recently taking on the role of chief operating officer. Mark, it is great to have you here. How are you? Good morning, Sarka. I'm really well, thank you. Happy Friday. Oh, listen, I'm so happy to be on Friday, finally. This week felt like a slog. So listen, Mark, like I said, I'm really interested in your story because, you know, obviously you've come through the big brands. But what was it about Fat Face that made you kind of go, do you know what, this is the right business for me, they're the right people for me, it's the right brand for me. What was it about it? Yeah, well, I suppose I've known Fat Face for a number of years, really. The background in adrenaline sports, so I like skiing and surfing and those things. So I knew about the brand. I had purchased a number of items of clothing. And I guess more recently, I was really interested in the brand's position on topics like sustainability and also fundraising, something that I really care about. So I knew about Fatface and how it had changed its stance. But the real reason that I considered it is really about culture and fit. You know, ultimately, people work for people. And I had been fortunate enough to work with Liz Evans earlier in my career whilst at MS. Liz is incredibly ambitious, very driven and very commercially minded. And she also makes her team work pretty hard, <laughs> but she commands it in almost respect. So that was the original appeal. And Liz had joined Fatface early 2019 and was sounding me out about a potential role. And initially, I turned it down. Did you? I did. I decided that I wanted to move out of clothing retail and move into a different space, actually. But Liz persisted. I had a couple of coffees. She got me down to meet the team in Haven. And then a bit ironically, really, but early one Friday morning, the sun was shining. I was out in my kayak on the River Thames with only the noise of ducks in the background. And my phone started ringing. And it was Liz offering me the role of global operations director at Fat Face. And I felt the fact that I was sat in a kayak on the river was an omen. And I said, yes. And three years later, I haven't looked back. No regrets at all. I've loved the experience. Brilliant. And do you always start your Friday morning in a kayak on River Thames? I wish. Normally more <laughs> like a creek without a paddle, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we all know that feeling. I do love water sports. And actually, uh, getting to the river is one of those sort of serene and relaxing places for me, either start of the day or an end of the day. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's my way to switch off. Yeah, that's funny. Me too, actually. Off topic, but I'm, I'm a rower. Ah, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, there's something beautiful about just the stillness of the river early in the morning or late in the evening. It's, just, it's really special, isn't it? It's really nice. Jumping back to Fatface and the actual work. Can you tell me a little bit about the values that you have at Fatface? Because I know you mentioned you know, sustainability, you also mentioned you know, the people and you know those kind of core values. Can you tell me a little bit more about them and what they mean to you as someone working with the business? Yes, definitely. I mean, I think in 2020, we updated the brand mission statement to Fatface Made for Life, which you know works on a number of levels, really. You know, we are a family-based brand. We appeal to all the family with quality clothing and therefore the Made for Life connotation carries with it a quality seal from a product point of view but it also embodies what underpins the business in terms of how we work with partners how we work with communities and how we work with our own people 
and we updated the values in the business at the same time. So just modernizing them really to positivity and fun, feeling good, uh, working better together, and then environmental consciousness. So Fatface already had some real strengths in that area and was known for slogans like life outside the nine to five, but work is no longer nine to five. And in a world which is 24-7, things like well-being have become more important. So we work really closely with the Retail Trust. And then environmental topic, also really, really important. And sustainability is one of our key pillars in the business. So sustainability, obviously, is a very important part of Fatface. And I know that your aim is to be carbon neutral by 2025. Can you tell me you know, concretely, how are you going about that? And how are you measuring yourselves? It's an area that we are learning more and more about, actually. So the good news is we aim to be carbon neutral by 2025, and we've actually achieved that for the last two years. Have you really? So in terms of meeting that objective within our own owned UK operations, we're already there. But actually, our lens on this has changed because we're no longer talking about carbon neutrality. It's now about net zero. And that's really taking all of our operations, all of our touch points. So the carbon neutral target we set didn't include how we spot suppliers who make the garments for us. So we now complete an annual ESG and sustainability report, and that touches all parts of the organisation. And we're committed to continue to find ways to now work towards net zero state. So in the last 12 months, that's included working with three global projects to support carbon offsetting. In 2021, we formed a partnership with the National Forest and have committed to a 75-year partnership effectively, planting 60,000 trees. So definitely starting to own our part in that. And I guess our sustainability strategy focuses on three pillars, which is product. Everything that we do and make needs to be done in a more sustainable way, be that use of raw materials, better cotton initiative for a lot of our products or removing fabrics from our, our supply chain completely. Our planet, so we already source our electricity renewably and we do recycling at different locations, but really think about the impact that we have in how we do business. And then finally, community. And we call it community, not people, because it's not just about our employees. It's about people that we work with, be that partners, be that customers, and and how we can um, educate, not in a preaching way, but help to understand the impact those things have. And that includes charity partners, but we have our own foundation. So foundation was established and has raised more than £2 million working with partners. On top of that, we were with Shelter at Christmas. We fundraise with the Princess Trust and we now have a partnership with Marine Conservation Society that we've done for the last two summers, whereby we are working with them on product, but things like beach cleans and an activity that our community can get involved in, as well as donate today. So we offer the opportunity to all of our employees to take a day to go and support one of our national partners or a locality they work with. We don't think we're there, but we are getting more and more granular looking at everything that we do and what we can do to play a part in it. And energy is quite a good one because as well as being good for the planet, for obvious reasons, there are also practical business benefits to getting this right. Yeah, yeah, of course. I always think it must be interesting or a good challenge for designers as well, and particularly for, you know, your tomorrow's talent designers when they're kind of not restricted, you know, in the fabrics they can use, but, you know, there's certain constraints put on them. Yeah, but I think, again, back to the sort of innovation point. So three years ago now, just as I joined the business for Christmas, somebody had the brilliant idea of redesigning shopping bags 
So all of our shopping bags are made out of paper, which was a deliberate choice some time ago, and actually created an idea which we've named Mindful Wrapping. And all of the bags then can be repurposed and reused for wrapping paper. We've made that even easier this year in terms of how you can cut them out and work with them. And again, every year we look to improve. So how do you improve it? from a reusable, a recycled source. Well, actually, it's no wrapping. So the idea this year was actually how can you use different things? So actually, there's some fabric wrapping options. So repurposing things that can be used afterwards. I think what's really exciting about this topic is there is a way, you know, and there are leaders in this space like Patagonia, Mm. you know, who are held up rightly so for sort of reinventing their business inside out now. Mm -hmm. And actually, do you know, I was in one of your stores about two weeks ago in Southwest Kerry in Ireland. Ah, yes. And if anyone is planning a holiday, I have to say Kerry is a great spot to go. But uh, this lovely town called Kenmare and it's kind of a, a market town. And one of the things that really jumped out at me actually was what you had set up behind the counter. It was very, very prominent your involvement with Focus Ireland, which is um, a charity of homeless people in Ireland, it links also to Prince's Trust. That's right, yeah. I was quite interested, actually. Obviously, I would know Fat Face as a British brand, but I was interested to see that you partner, obviously, you know, with Irish charities and things like that. I know, obviously, you've expanded into the US as well, so I imagine you have similar things planned or already ongoing there. But how do you think retailers can connect with communities, you know, in that way and kind of the local level? Because I think it's important for retailers not to just look at kind of big picture stuff, but also small picture stuff. Yeah, no, it's a really good one and and something we work with on a sort of monthly basis, actually. So at national level, we work with a number of key charity partners. You mentioned Princess Trust. We've worked with the Princess Trust for a number of years now, and we do product collaborations. So a scheme that's called Tomorrow's Talent, which we started back in 2017, where we bring in young people to help us with product design. But we also have done things across the whole organisation. So back in 2019, we did the Palace to Palace bike ride, had 50 people from stores all around the world and our offices and warehouse and raised nearly £50,000 actually. So that, you know, bringing together sort of for a national organisation, but then locally, yeah, in Ireland, we do work in the US. Last winter, we worked with an organisation called One Warm Coat, which is about providing support and clothing for people, obviously, at that time of year. And this Christmas, we're really proud that we'll be supporting shelter again. So right across the UK, both from a product donation, so 10% of a range of products goes direct to shelter charity. And every year, we have colleagues in stores across the UK participate in the shelter walk. So, you know, getting out and supporting and also volunteering at some of the soup kitchens and what have you as well. So it really is right across the organisation. And it's because our teams care. They want to get involved and support both at local level and at national. Brilliant. Yeah, that's fantastic. I find a family business is really interesting. Obviously, you know, family started out as a family business. It isn't anymore, but it's not purely family business, I suppose. What is it like coming into a business like that where obviously Will is still CEO? You know, what's it like coming into those kind of businesses as an outsider? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Yeah, I mean, obviously it started two founders, Tim and Jules, back in the day, created this brand. And I think a lot of the principles they had when they started carry on in the business today. And we've got some really long service. You know, we've got our longest employee has been with the brand for 26 years. Really? You know, for a brand that's 34 years old, that's a pretty good tenure. Yeah. (laughs) And it does have a family feel, you know, in a positive way. It's very welcoming. It's caring. I found that a little bit scary at first. I thought if I joined some kind of mafia (laughs) that everybody knows everybody and there's quite a few relations. But actually, people are close to the business and really care about it. But I guess coming in for me, I came in with a quite specific purpose. So Liz was really clear with me that the asks of me were really to get to know the business, to modernise the retail approach, build that capability and more laterally really 
start out that sort of transformation journey to modernize not only the way that we thought about retailing and business, but how we were approaching customers and using technology. So I think it was a great base to start from, and it is, you know, welcoming. But I think we now have brought in external talent and that fusing of external perspective with internal experience, I think builds a really good, really good knowledge across the business. Mm, yeah, of course. And what has that digital transformation looked like? Because it can be a bit of a challenge for heritage brands. Yes, it certainly can. I mean, I think to build any kind of digital platform and business you need a strong business foundation to begin with and that is a brand that's strong that's products that people either want or need and a willingness to change and Fatface already had a number of funds afoot with changes in systems but the pandemic has helped us in this regard you know i think we'd already put an e-learning solution in accessible anywhere in the world ipads uh, clock in and out so there were nods to digital information but in terms of transforming the business the pandemic accelerated that because of the shift in channels you know the minute that you have to close all of your store estate everywhere in the world and you're relying on an e-com channel it meant that everything started to center around that so i think ultimately you know we had a burning platform to do that and accelerate it and to make it work i think there's a high degree of determination and resilience quite often you're swimming against the tide of the way that we've always done things or that's not how we do it at this business. So I think um, you know, really sticking by your guns, working with it and doing that cultural transformation. It's not necessarily a nice phase, but I think people do need to be on the bus and you need the right people on the bus. So I think that ultimately you have to force that change through. Mm -hmm. This might be slightly putting you on the spot, but you know, if, if you have someone who's kind of a bit of a sticking point or someone who doesn't want to make that change and, you know, let's say that they are quite influential in the business, how would you approach that? I think we've been very lucky at Fatface because there's a willingness to learn and adapt. And I think it is about adapting and lifting your, your head up and seeing what's going around you because uh, change is necessary. In the most part, I think people understanding that and wanting to learn, as I said, we've been very fortunate. I think if not, then it is a direct conversation around um, what the world looks like now or is going to look like tomorrow and people being prepared to change and fit into that. And that doesn't work for everybody. Yeah, for sure. We've touched on it briefly, but the store experience, I want to go back to it, moving from e-com to, <laughs> to stores. I think the store experience at Fatface is particularly good. And I'm not genuinely not just saying that. Like I said previously, I was in that shop in Kinmare a few weeks ago and the lady behind the counter was absolutely fantastic. I was with my mum and, you know, my mum, you know, she's kind of mid-50s, usually digitally you know, interested, I think, you know. But the lady behind the counter, you know, she was great in that she, you know, when she offered a, an e-receipt to my mum, she said, you know, she's able to say, oh, you know, listen, we'll, we'll be able to give you a 50% discount afterwards. You know, so she's able to explain, obviously, the benefit of going for the e-receipt. She's very natural and very open and very honest. And I think my mum commented on the quality of, of the t-shirt that she was buying. It was really soft, really nice. And the lady behind the counter was able to say, oh, yeah, actually, I've, I've got about 10 of these. And, you know, they really know their shape and they're really, yeah, they really last really, really well. So she was actually, genuinely one of the best brand ambassadors I think I've ever seen <laughs> she was great how do you help your in-store teams to give that kind of experience to your customer because that's not something that happens naturally obviously you know there's an element but it's not an easy thing to do even though it looks easy no you're absolutely right first of all it's brilliant to hear it's totally authentic you know we can't make things like that up and those experiences happen up and down our estate every single day and I'm pretty sure the person that would have been helping you that day would have been Lucy who's the store manager of Camemere so yeah, she was great oh yeah and I'll, I'll name drop her because she's fantastic and it's totally authentic that this comes from our store teams really caring you know they're not incentivized they don't do hard sell but they really care about the customer experience and they also have 
real belief in our products and what we stand for. So it sounds corny, but it does come from the heart, I think. And from a leadership perspective, what we've done to support that, I think, is about empowerment. It's about encouraging our teams to make the right choices, to focus on the customer ahead of the task wherever possible, because it's not always possible and we don't always get it right. But I think overall, that passion to care for the customer is what shines through. We've also done a few things, I guess, linking back to your question on digital transformation. So we used to have an in-store mystery shopping program, which was very good, but focused only on individuals giving service. So a high level of training, but to individuals. And that wasn't sustainable, particularly closing all of our shop. We've used digital means now. So Google reviews and Trustpilot. We share those with our store teams every single week. They are incredibly proud when they get name dropped. And we've moved from a 1.7 star rating on Trustpilot to now over four and a half stars with 30,000 reviews. That is huge. It's massive. Yeah. And our store teams were at the forefront of that because we had a low performance on service and we needed to improve it. And, you know, they take tremendous pride in what they do. And another great idea that came about from a colleague in store who we call our crew, all of our teams in stores are called our crew, and they wanted to be able to do some peer recognition. So actually, we took the idea away and we now have designed a set of metal pin badges, which are awarded and they're awarded for being friendly and helpful. And, you know, we have diversity champions. We have a piece around charity fundraising, something we believe in. But then there are other badges like a superhero badge that we have peer to peer recognition and there's only one badge. So you can't have a team full of superheroes, but the team say they want to pass it on and recognize mm. their peers. So I think we've been able to support it, but it's something that has been built up in this business over a long time. Certainly not down to me. It's down to the, the people working in our store estate who do a fantastic job day in, day out. Yeah, that's fantastic. I actually love the idea of the peer-to-peer recognition. Because you know, someone who knows you and works with you knows you so much better than Absolutely. someone who... Absolutely. And they see the hard moments as well as the good moments. Yeah. You know, we tend, tend to think yeah. about recognition being about success and do something right, but sometimes it can just be getting through a day yeah. <laughs> and getting through a pile of delivery <laughs> yeah. that you never thought you were going to see the back of. So, um, yeah, I think it's really important. Yeah, fantastic. And can you tell me, what kind of role do you see stores playing in the future for Fab? Yeah, I mean, I think they're absolutely critical. I've sort of uh, been quoted on this before, but I won't change my mind. But for us, stores are the pinnacle live experience of this brand. I've said this before, but you can have a really good online transaction, which means you place an order, you're able to get the items in the right sizes available, and it gets delivered on time when you expected it. Great. It ticks all the boxes of meeting you need, but a bit like your experience in Kenmare, it really you know we have the ability to change the course of someone's day by giving them great service and that physical embodiment of a brand is so much stronger when it's brought to life and there's pressure on stores at the moment there's pressure on rent you know costs are incredibly difficult for most people but it's a reminder of your brand you're able to enrich the perception of your brand if you can set up and operate a great store estate. So I'm a massive advocate. It's where I started. I will I will always uh, believe in the store business. But I think for us in particular, it brings it to life. And I'm sure I'll come on and talk about internationally, but in the US, that's very true as well. Mm. Yeah, we might get that on to that in a second, but just sticking to stores for the moment, what role do you think AI is going to play in the customer experience in stores? Because, you know, you hear so many people talking about, you know, all these gadgets and gizmos that are going to be going. What's your take on that? Well, it definitely plays a role. I mean, you can't deny that people are buying cars through websites, through customer AI, and in shopping centers have never driven the car and are able to sit in a cockpit, imagine what it's like, go through an experience and what have you. And I think technology and use of data 
is super critical and something that we definitely believe. So it's something that we will continue to look at and invest in. I was actually looking at robotics for sortation and picking in our warehouse and distribution mm. center last week. So I think where there are cost efficiencies and you know using algorithms to better predict behavior or commercial planning, definitely a place for it. Personally, never going to a hairdresser's to have my hair cut <laughs> with a robot. There's a time and place for these things. For me, I think where it enhances the experience, definitely, but not as a direct replacement for in-store shopping. Mm-hmm. Okay. And touching then on to the, your US expansion, can you tell me, you know, how have you approached the expansion? How have American customers responded to the brand? Has anything surprised you? It has. And I think, you know, what started as a small idea six years ago, prior to my time joining the business, you know, some great work was done to open the first store in Portland in Maine, um, chosen because it felt very fat-based, you know, very lifestyle brand. But the US is a very different market. So we now have 24 stores dotted along the New England coastline and now branching into Washington, D.C. They are mainly holiday locations where, you know, there are people who are resident, but also traveling from other parts of the US or internationally. And holiday destinations work very well for us because there's a good feel good factor. You know, people feel differently when the sun is generally shining and they're on holidays. So we trade well in those locations. But in the US, there aren't the chains that you see in the UK. So they're mainly what we refer to as mom and pop shops, the independent US retail unit. But from that first store, decisions were made that it would be a US based business. All of our store managers, all of our crew are US resident and recruited and employed locally. We have a head of US stores based out in the US, now reporting to myself. And there are some core products that have really made us famous. So there is a heavyweight sweatshirt loved at Fat Face as one of our heritage pieces called the Airly. And that garment has gone down an absolute storm, particularly our American Airly, which comes in red, white and blue. Oh, yes, Chris. Uh, you can imagine. And a lot of patriotism. But I think they really value the quality of the garments, the weight and the feel. Now, there's quite a lot with Fat Face. We do a lot of soft touch, comfortable clothing, which people know. But in a new market, it's brilliant to hear customers who've never heard of the brand before touching it, picking it up and wanting to buy it and commenting what great price it is. On the early, we now have a national early day. So that was held two weeks ago and we sold over 1,500 of those garments in a day across the store estate. It doesn't even include online. So it's built really well. Five of the stores take more than a million dollars now per year. And menswear index is slightly higher than women's. So it's a slight skew to slightly younger and a men's customer. Did you see that coming? No, we didn't, actually. And I, I don't know whether that's a little bit of the heritage of the brand. Mm. What's exciting for us now is that online is growing even faster. So, you know, we're over 100% growth online and we're growing customers at the same rate we are sales. So what's great is we're building that out. And actually, just recently announced, we now have intentions that go into Canada. So the store estate will continue to grow in the US, but we are now building plans to open six stores next year in Canada, which we think will be great again given all of the heritage of the brand and the countries actually yeah that's fantastic. i have to say you still do get some slightly odd looks when you stood in the streets in chatham and, and people see our, our brand name with fat face above the door next to an ice cream parlor <laughs> it does raise an eye but it's not stopping the affection for the brand oh, well, that's good <laughs> that's good Actually, I was going to ask actually about the origin of the name. Yeah, a lot of people do. And it is a little bit strange in 2022 <laughs> to think 
where did you end up with that so yeah. so tim and jules the original founders were avid skiers and used to go out the french alps and ski through the winter and actually the business started for them as a way of funding those trips so in the summer they went back with a vw camper van a proper heritage camper van hence you see it referenced in stores and in products and sold t-shirts out the back of that van to raise money and um their favorite ski run is one that i'm fortunate enough to have been to which is called la Fass, which is mm. in val d'Isere. because it was their favorite they called it the fat fast <laughs> And that's how it stuck. Nothing to do with anything else. And from those early trips, they were pioneering in terms of taking customer details when it was going really well. And they discovered that most people buying the product were you know, UK domestics out for the ski season and a lot of concentrated around sort of West London. So hence the first store was actually, people think of the South Coast, but it's actually Fulham. Yeah, so data capture was inherent in the way that they started this business. So we're coming full circle now, I think, as we build out a multi-channel business. So yeah, it's funny. Absolutely, absolutely. We hear an awful lot of doom and gloom going on at the moment about, you know, basically Christmas onwards, I think. How do you see the next 12 months or so unfolding for retailers? I won't lie, it's probably going to continue to be pretty tough. There are so many pressures at the moment, particularly on consumer disposable income. Obviously, there's been recent government announcements around relief for all of us in terms of domestic bills, which is extremely well received. We are still about to find out it's going to be in place for businesses, but it's not going to be as far reaching or for as long. So I think whilst that provides a bit of temporary relief, the cost pressures of energy, of rent for store-based businesses, of carriage, and then exchange rates, you know, all of these things at the moment are coming in. And I think it's going to continue to be pretty tough both pre-Christ and beyond. I think the uncertainty in the world that's happened of you know, with recent events means that um, I think people will be more planful this side of Christmas and, and then cautious afterwards. But that's the sort of negative bit. I have to say, I do feel optimistic, actually, that I think for businesses that are well set up, that have great products, that are keeping in sync with customer mindset and sentiment, I think can do well. And you know, I feel that we are well set up as a business at the moment to offer great products, a great service in all of our channels this side of Christmas and beyond. And then I think the interesting things are things like sustainability and those customer choices that we're going to have to make as we go through the next 12 to 24 months. So I think, you know, some of the kind of major themes that have come out for retail over the past, say, three years is expecting the unexpected. Can you tell me a little bit about how you can insulate a business or, you know, a retailing, a retail business against unforeseen events, whether that be supply chain issues, whether it be rising energy costs. What is it that retailers can do so that they're not constantly on the back foot? Yeah, it's been a heck of a three years. <laughs> I can't remember the like of it, to be honest. I mean, yes, we've had the pandemic, we've had Ukraine situation, we've got energy, we've got change of government, change of monarch. And actually, we also suffered a cyber incident, something that you sort of mm. think about and plan for. But um, all of these things catch you on the back foot. I don't think you can ever be fully prepared. I haven't felt fortunate, but I do feel fortunate that I was part of the business continuity team at MS that we used to run through scenarios fairly regularly of all kinds of things from terror issues to social disturbance. And therefore, having the, some of those things in the back of your mind is helpful. Having them written down with some planned processes of how you react is really helpful because in those instances, you are responding to things around you. But also as a leader, you are, you are accountable and you are setting direction. So I guess one of the things that really sticks with me always is to think about people, then about brand 
and then about profit or business impact. And you know, working and coaching some of the team at Fatface, that I think always holds you in really good stead. You know, if you think about what are you doing for people first, ultimately in terms of safety, clarity, that's ultimately the most important thing. Then protecting your brand and the potential negative impact there. And lastly, almost business and profit, they're really important. But actually just making sure you put them through some kind of funnel or filter, I think is really helpful. Through being clear about the approach you're going to take. So I wrote down on my pad just as the pandemic was starting about being human was my internal phrase that I used. So trying to remember that, again, back to working with people first, any of these things have very real consequences on employees, on suppliers, on families, and therefore really being mindful of that. And the other piece is probably using time. You know, so when you're a leader in that situation, the one thing that you've got, the one commodity in shortest supply is time because you're expected to make decisions quickly. You're trying to second guess what might happen next. So I think using hierarchy in a positive way, you know, delegating as much as you can and empowering your teams where they are the experts to come up with the answers and show that you're prepared to listen to them. Mm -hmm. That can actually take the weight off your shoulders as a leader and enable you a bit of clear thinking space about what you're going to do next. And I think the only other bit with the scenario planning is unintended consequences which is a bit of a mark phrase that gets overused but it's quite easy to come up with your next step you know if you're at point a coming up with point b but if you can think about what might happen at point c and d it really does help because it stops you getting boxed in you're having that flexibility to adapt your plan and I think what's also important is how the leadership team works together. Yes. Could you tell me a little bit about the leadership team at Fatface and how do you guys delegate you know decisions like that or responsibility like that? So everybody in the senior team has really clear functional accountability, sort of fairly standard structure, if you like, with Will as CEO of the business. We then have CFOs, COO, and then brand IT and product divisions. And we meet every couple of weeks as a team. Interestingly, through the pandemic, we spoke every single day Mm. at the end of the day to check in. Some of that was personal check-in as well as where we were going with the business. There were times we just didn't want to speak to each other, but I think we got to know each other pretty well. So therefore, what's been really strong at Fatface is there's a high degree of trust in the top table, holding each other to account. But I think coming together to be aligned, you know, there used to be a phrase about cabinet responsibility. I'm not sure I'd use that anymore for (laughs) reason but i think um, board accountability and actually being very open with that one of the things i think we've done well is being open with the business around important decisions we've got to make yeah that blend of shared accountability there's this new phrase being used at the moment around teamship it's very important to have that sort of balance power and i use the word power really carefully because you don't know it and i learned this fairly on but you know with that authority or having director in your title you have power you need to be aware of it because people can hang on your every word or or go on something you've said and you need to respect it Mm. i think also you need to empower people to challenge you correct yeah and they need to get comfortable doing that i think it's really important to create that back to you know don't have all the answers so working with the team to build that is critical Mm. i always think yeah the sign of someone who's doing a good job in a leader position is someone who's actually happy to stay quiet most of the time yes absolutely yeah what advice would you give to someone who's maybe, you know, running a brand and feeling a little bit nervy about the next kind of, you know, yeah. say, next two years? What do you think are the things that they absolutely need to get right? Yeah, I'm not sure there's one piece of advice because I think people will be facing different things at the moment. I think, you know, the reality of running a business is, you know, there's everything from pleasing shareholders and investors and profit and growth forecasts to real short term issues. And there's a couple of things I referenced earlier, but I think consumer mindset, you know, really staying in touch with how your customer is reacting. And you can read all the reports and stats in the world, but it's about 
understanding your customer sentiment and you know the pandemic taught all of us that you've got to keep close to that sense of what's relevant i think probably the second one for me is something that we've become much better at and that is leadership i think as far as you can making the decisions around the top table that reduce worry or uncertainty for your teams and enable them to do their jobs really well and get a sense of satisfaction but trying to give them less things to worry about well you know there's enough going on in their personal lives try and give them some certainty about what you're focusing on and the third bit is i guess is focus on your strengths it's that old adage but i think you get competitive advantage by doing what you do really well and brilliantly and building out from that rather than and trying to correct your weaknesses and mm. for retailers that starts with products you know ultimately we give great service but people buy products yeah absolutely one thing that kind of jumps out to me is as we're talking is that you talk quite a lot about stuff that feels right yeah and i think sometimes it's easy to get dragged into spreadsheets and excel and all these kind of things you know and figures that are telling you to do one thing but would you say that you're an intuitive person that's a great question, actually. So at the outset, not actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love data. I mean, most people that have worked with me will know I'm passionate about and the step I did from stores into the e-commerce channel and then becoming a multi-channel director. The thing that I found most exciting about that is the ability to use information to learn new things, learn patterns of behavior, great insights, and it's quantifiable. I'm probably more science than arts on that. But I guess after years of doing retail work, I think being in sync with your customer mindset and also with your team and really understanding and listening to them, I think there's a tremendous power that can come from that. And I think one of the things you get is you get alignment quicker mm. if people can understand it. So I'm a firm believer in setting the context, whether that be in information and facts or a sense of what's going on. Yeah, sometimes I think it gets a little bit lost sometimes because you can't quantify it. Yeah. But yeah, sometimes your gut is right. <laughs> one of the things in sort of digital business is, you know, we do a lot of testing. You know, we will A-B test pages, well, colors, buttons, fonts, all sorts of things. But there is a rule of common sense in all that. You know, sometimes I say, you know, if you did A-B testing in a store, you wouldn't throw all the clothes on the floor to see if you sold more. You don't need to test everything. There are some things that you can kind of get there. So I, I think it's that blend. Yeah, 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 I think you're right. And can you tell me, what are you looking forward to in the next 12 months? Well, I'm really enjoying my job at the moment. I'm working with a great team. Will is leading our business through a period of change. And I think in terms of working in different teams, we had to go through a forming and storming phase pretty quickly at Fat Face with the pandemic. And the top table team has become pretty tight as a result of that. So I'm enjoying that. My role now encompasses pretty much end to end from goods in to goods out, be it dispatch or into the hands of a customer. And a lot of the time, I feel like when it goes wrong, it's ultimately my fault. And that's a good thing because that means I get a good oversight of how we can change things. And we've put a lot of time into that. So this side of Christmas, I'm really looking forward to seeing my team get some just desserts of some brilliant work, teamwork and planning. And I think they should be breaking some great records. So I'm looking forward to it with a sense of pride in my team, actually. And I think then into the following 12 months, we've been going through uh, an IT transformation program for some time. And some of that culminates in the spring with the new RP and product planning. And I think seeing that will be the next step of how we modernize the business. And outside of that, you know, Canada and international presents a real opportunity. We're well known in this country with over 180 stores in the UK five in ireland and now 24 in the us i think uh, you know th- this brand has broad appeal so i'm looking forward to continuing that journey. fantastic listen mark that was really interesting i love talking to you thank you so much thank you very much okay enjoy the rest of the friday and have a good weekend you too you too that was mark wright coo of fatface 
Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Industry Leaders Podcast. And don't forget that you can catch up on all our previous episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your usual podcast provider. That's it for this week. So for me, Sarah Coboyle, and all of us at More2, take care and bye-bye.